Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Today's episode of Elevating Motherhood is sponsored by Blossom and Root, a nature-based Charlotte Mason-inspired homeschool curriculum company that has been gently guiding and supporting families for years. This thoughtful, age-appropriate curriculum begins at the preschool level with options all the way up to fourth grade with more grade levels being released each year. In our house, we are eagerly awaiting the release of grade five. I've seen a preview of it and I'm pretty excited. Blossom and Root is absolutely the homeschool curriculum my family uses and loves. The information and ideas are easy to follow, fun and engaging. If you're new to homeschool or are simply looking for an inspired homeschool curriculum to help you lovingly teach and guide your children, I highly recommend Blossom and Root. Using this curriculum has brought so much connection and joy to my family's homeschool days. I love it. My kids love it. I think you might love it too. I have more information about Blossom and Root over at elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. And Blossom and Root has generously offered a discount code for listeners of Elevating Motherhood. Use the code LORIBETH10, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your purchase. Go check it out, elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. Today's episode is also supported by Homeschool Explained, an online course I created to help parents find their confidence on their homeschool journey. I used to teach in-person workshops here on Maui to help families gather all the information and resources they need, answer all their questions, alleviate concerns, and help them get organized as they started homeschooling. Homeschool Explained is the online version of those in-person workshops. I totally get it. Starting any new journey can be really overwhelming, especially when it comes to rethinking how your kids are going to get an education and that you are going to be the teacher. But don't worry, there is so much support and freedom in homeschool. It's doable, it's fun, and it takes way less time than most people think. I put almost 15 years of homeschool experience and insights into this easy-to-follow, easy-to-use online course that answers common questions, helps you work through worries, and saves you time. No more internet search overload. This is all the info you need to get started homeschooling today from a trusted experience source. And I am more than happy to be that for you. I love providing resources and cheering you on as you tackle this enormous and also really life-giving journey that is homeschool. In Homeschool Explained, I show you what modern homeschool days actually look like, all while covering major topics like curriculum, homeschool styles, subjects to teach, cost, state laws, socialization, and so much more. This course takes the guesswork out of where and how to begin and leaves you with solid support and resources. I want you to start your homeschool journey with confidence. Find out more at homeschoolexplained.com. That's homeschoolexplained.com. 
I feel like after all that homeschool intro that this is almost like the perfect transition into what we're talking about today. Fear, comparison, feeling inadequate, overwhelm, exhaustion. There are so many factors in our lives that bring on feelings of wanting to shut down, especially as moms. Life is good and hard at the same time, but how do we live in that dichotomy? How can we embrace the hard parts of life and the highlight real moments and learn from all of them. Well, author and speaker Lisa Whittle is here with us to share some wonderful ideas about this very subject. Lisa believes that two truths can be true at the same time. Things work together, even if they don't seem to be working out. Our lives and circumstances aren't really either or. She explains it so lovely in her latest book, The Hard Good, but also dives into it in this conversation as well and shows us the space and the grace for the and in our lives. Lisa Whittle is the author of eight books, and her wit and bottom line approach have made her a very sought after teacher. She is a pastor's daughter and a longtime ministry leader in issues relevant to the church. Lisa is the founder of Ministry Strong and the popular Jesus Over Everything podcast, which debuted in the top 25 of Christian podcasts. She and her family live in North Carolina. Her new book, The Hard Good, just came out this month. I'm excited to share more about Lisa and her work and her message with you as she encourages us to show up when we really want to shut down. Without further ado, let's welcome the inspiring Lisa Whittle to the show. Aloha, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for making time for us this morning because you have crossed my path multiple times lately and I knew that I wanted to talk with you more. But before we dive into the questions, I'd love for my listeners to learn more about you in your own words. Great. Well, let's see. What can I tell you? I feel like I've, um, I'm 100 years old, so I feel like this could be um, just such a long introduction, <laughs> but I'm going to keep it brief. I will t- Maybe I'll say it like this. I have loved Jesus long. I have wifed and mothered long. Um, been married almost 26 years and three kids um, that are, gosh, 23, 20, and 18. I write words, I preach words, and I coach women. And I'm a feisty work in progress is probably the best way to explain it. Mm, that's so good. We're <laughs> You sound like our kind of person, Lisa. Sounds fantastic. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you wrote a new book. Congratulations. What is this book? Number eight, nine? When is it? This is, this is number eight. Yeah. Okay. Well done. Well done. I love that you speak to, I know that you speak to a a wider audience, but I really feel like as a woman and as a mom, I, I feel like your messaging really speaks to me as, as a person and as a believer and, And I know that there are a lot of struggles that moms go through that are kind of specific to our modern times. And I was wondering if in all of your work and speaking and and the way that you show up for women, if there are certain struggles or mindset shifts or that that you feel like need to happen or could happen, you know, what what are some of the issues that modern mamas are struggling with most these days when it comes to mindset or their mama hearts? Yeah, well, first of all, I love being able to talk to moms because this is this is like my favorite group of people. Um, and I don't get to talk about motherhood or 
any of that very much because like you said, I do, you know, kind of speak to other groups, maybe writing groups or just a broader group of, of um, a faith-based community. But I love talking to my mamas because that's where I live. You know, that's where I am. I, I, I think I see the same things I've been seeing for years because I've been a mom for a while. Um, But maybe because of the culture, it's manifesting differently like um, fear. Uh, I Mm. think fear is a huge one that, goodness, you become a mother, you're always afraid. So I don't think that's necessarily different for the modern mother, but I think it has shown up in... um, really specific ways, especially after um, the pandemic and so forth, just a, just a really new face on it. I think fear, I think comparison, uh, comparison is, is such a brutal, um, oh, it's such a brutal thing for moms. I think the feelings of inadequacy, which tie into comparison, but it's also a private struggle because mm-hmm. um, you know, we feel so inadequate at moms as moms. We feel guilty uh, that we aren't doing enough, that we haven't done enough. And listen, when your child becomes 23 and, you know, you are facing them getting married, all of those inadequate feelings and struggles, they flood back to you because you think, mm. did I do enough? And um, what do they know? And, you know, now they will find out in a new way how inadequate I was as a mom, because now they're not five anymore. And, you know, mommy's just the best. It's like now they're an adult and they can see for themselves. And so there's a whole other litany of issues that come up. So I, I feel like I feel for every mom stage because at this point I've been there and um, or just about there. And so it's rough in some ways, but beautiful and hard, which is <laughs> what I write about in the hard good, you know? Mm-hmm. Thanks for saying all that. I feel really validated as a mom. <laughs> and, and we are going to move beyond that. And that's something that I talk about on the show too, is that I think that real support and genuine resources are ones that say, you know, this is hard. I'm going to validate this for you. You know, I feel you, I understand you. And now what are we going to do about that too? Are there ways that we can talk about it or address it or whatnot? Um, But man, when you talked about fear and I was thinking, thinking back to like 4am this morning, just to be totally vulnerable as I'm thinking about all the things and like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have four kids and I'm going to be like rewinding a little bit and going back to, you know, teaching how to cross the street or how to walk in a parking lot or making sure we don't scatter even more than we already do. Mm, Yeah. All of the things and it it felt very like fear based, Mm -hmm. fear based for sure for me. And so I even with all these resources, even with all of these years of being a mom and dealing with this fear head on, it still rears its its ugly head every once in a while. And, and I do appreciate people like you who teach us how to lean into those and learn from, from those moments too. And man, I think you probably pinged a lot of us who aren't quite at the 23 year old stage yet (laughs) where all that stuff is coming on, but it's good for us to hear from the moms who have gone before us so that when that time comes, we're not blindsided by those feelings that 
I can see would very obviously come up. Yeah, yeah. I've often said, you know, to my friends at this stage that are in the similar season of life, like, I, I do wish that someone had said, you know, it's not over when they're 18. Like, you know, there's still some things to come. But I think when you when you when you parent at this season, you don't want to like you don't want to discourage anyone who has a five-year-old and they're super busy and say, oh, it's it's still, you're still parenting, you know, but you are in more of a consultant role at this point. But one of the things I talk about in The Hard Good that really struck me was it's in the last chapter, it's called Embracing Change. And, um, you know, I think for all of us as moms, I don't care whether your child, it, you see your child change before your eyes because now they're 18 months and now they're doing different milestones there and you're seeing the change and you're thinking, where is my tiny baby? Or whether you are parenting at 20 and you're like, I'm really letting go. Like this, this kid's going to move out of my house. <laughs> there is a, an element of change that is difficult for every mom. And um, that's something that I, I dive into into the book because for me, that's where I live right now. And mm -hmm. it's not easy. Yeah. Thanks for that too. Okay. All right. You're preparing our mama hearts <laughs> for this stuff. You already know it. You're facing it yourself in every in season of your kid's life. It's just, I'm just saying what everybody already knows. Yeah. Well, whew, thank you for bringing it up though. I think I need a little preparation. <laughs> it's good. It's good. And it's nice to know that there's resources out there too. I, I think that one thing that I see and hear over and over again is moms feeling like they don't have a purpose or, you know, they've lost their purpose once they become moms. And I'd love for you to talk with us a little bit about finding our purpose versus, you know, the a notion of being useful. Mm. Um, because I do think that this is something that moms struggle with. And I feel like purpose has almost become the P word, the way balance has become the B word, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a few things to clarify here. I am, I love this conversation because it is so hugely important for moms. You know, you, you talk about the idea of a lot of moms share about how they feel they've lost their or can't find their purpose once they become mothers. And then I've heard the other side of the coin where when kids leave the nest, there's the mom who was like, I don't know who I am anymore because all I've been, quote unquote, is a mom. Mm -hmm. So I think something to note here that's super important is this idea of losing yourself in a role, which hits both sides of that issue, right? Of what we're talking about here. And that's easy to do because we love the role. It's, it's precious. It is arguably maybe the best role we've ever had in our entire life. Mm -hmm. The one we love the most, but this is why I advocate for moms to have other things that you love at the same time that you're mothering, right? Because um, while it is an all-encompassing job, I mean, we listen, if you're a mom, you that's like three jobs per one child. You know, it's it's we are bosses by mothering. And I love us for that because I know what the role is. At the same time, we do have pockets of bandwidth in our life that we should fill with things we love. You're doing a podcast. Is that because mm -hmm. you have the time? Probably not. No. But it is because <laughs> you're up at 7am saying, I know that this fills my soul. And mm -hmm. I know that it helps women. And it is it is bringing you joy. I see the joy on your face. I see that because we have a video going, by the way, people are like, how do you see each other? We have a video <laughs> going. But 
that's what's important is I, I don't, I can't say I ever had really time to write a book. And that doesn't suggest that, you know, we should feel shame if we don't think we have time to write a book. Listen, there are seasons for it. Um, there were moments I didn't have time to write a book, I can assure you. But I do believe there's there's moments to have take time to do something that you love at the same time and they can run a parallel road. Now, related to the idea of purpose and usability, I talk about this in the book because I, I do find that we we have this ethereal idea that there is this purpose that we can't ever find, that we are constantly running to it and it's constantly outrunning us and maybe God doesn't want to reveal to us what our purpose is. And it's like this, you know, box that we can ever unwrap or whatever. And what I want to say is that's not true because based on scripture, which I uh, believe and my whole life is anchored upon in Matthew 28, it tells tells us what our purpose is for all believers. And that is to go and make disciples. And that is something that is a whole lot closer to home than what we really think. So that's a lot more in our backyard, in our own um, community, in the way that we serve, in the way that we invest in our kids. And so when I talk about that versus usability, what I believe is usability is how we will allow God to take even the hard circumstances in our life and let them shape us and become more usable in our own communities and in our own um, giftedness for the kingdom of God. And and that is something that does not require us to chase after some gift that we think we can't unwrap. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for that. Taken uh, this notion that we've been chasing after and just showing us that it's not even really there, that it is a societal message, that it is something, this notion that's been placed in our minds or our hearts for for whatever reason, and, and a lot of us are trying to trying to do that and chase that and reframing that and showing us that there are other things, there are other ways, there are other, um, oh gosh, focal points to have on our hearts and minds and and how we are useful and how we can be of service. Wow. I feel like that was a terrible summary after your, your eloquent statement, but I love that. I have this vision, a visual of like you just taking this, this whole notion of purpose and just moving out into my path so I can walk forward. It does. It does. It makes us stumble. I do believe Mm -hmm. that this ethereal idea of not not that looking for purpose is bad. It's not that I, I'm not trying to diminish the idea of purpose. We all want to have purpose. We all want to mm-hmm. believe that we're here on earth for a thing. But when we have this some type of standard of whatever that is, or we put it up on this pedestal, again, like this this present that we can never quite reach our arm up to to unwrap, then we spend our whole life thinking, maybe I maybe that's not the right present, or maybe I didn't unwrap it correctly, or maybe I'm, you know, maybe I just can't ever reach it. And it just becomes this bigger than life thing. And I just want us to know it, it it's not really that. Like mm-hmm. you're gifted. You You have things all around you all the time that you can use. And it really is about how are you using your life right now? Mm-hmm. I love that. And even to just pull from the podcast example again, and then what you were talking about before and, and the importance of making time for things 
outside of that, the one role of, of motherhood, the podcast was that for me. It did fill me up, do all these, all these wonderful things for me that just light me up and make me a better person. And and I do feel like I'm answering a calling of, of some kind, but I am, I did, I think for a very small amount of time, be like, oh, this is it. The podcast, this is what I meant to do, you know, forever and ever. This is my, you know, quote unquote purpose. But really, um, when I let go of that and brought in a lot of humility, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> okay, you know what? This is how I'm going to be useful today. This is how right. I'm going to be of service. And I really keeping the goal and intention of, I want to be a resource for moms. I want yeah. to be the calm voice that comes in and we can talk about things and analyze our lives because we're, we're doing that anyway. And we're doing it in these sort of private struggles, like you were talking about, and just kind of bringing those to the surface in a, in a loving, supportive way that leaves moms feeling resourced, which ultimately leads them feeling confident. And sometimes the resource comes in the form of just discussions like this, where it's just a perspective shift, a widening of the lens so that we can see our lives in a different way outside of the cultural norm saying, you know, this is what motherhood is or isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A perspective shift is often all we need, right? And we, uh, we get so caught up in our own world and our own life and our own feelings of inadequacy and our comparison to someone else and what they're doing and what looks bigger and what looks more purposeful and what looks better mm-hmm. and all of those things. And um, so I think that's a lot of pressure to put on ourselves. And I think it's um, unnecessary pressure. And what's weird about pressure, especially as moms, is it actually makes us perform in the weird ways that we are trying not to perform, right? So we get pressure, we feel pressure on ourselves. Most of the time we put it on ourselves. And then we actually become the mom we don't want to be or whatever, whatever that means, you know? And so I think it would be amazing if we could really understand it's, it's, it's okay. Like you're, you're, you're putting one foot in front of the other. We are seeing the heart of our lives and we are saying, God, what now? What now? And we are moving forward. And um, that's the beauty of a new day. That's the beauty of new mercies is we have the opportunity to be better today than we were yesterday and to do it better. And even as a mom with my kids, as old as they are, I, you know, I could have lament. (laughs) I have not done everything well, but I keep thinking like, how can I be really great today? You know, because if I waste time thinking about how I made mistakes yesterday and messed up yesterday, um, I'll probably make more today uh, being living in that regret. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the beauty of a new day. <laughs> I feel like sometimes <laughs> it's what I live for, man. Yep, yep. Oh, it's It's been a week over here in our house. Lots of triple bookings and all these different things that we're just like, how are we going to do this? This is crazy. All right. I guess we're, we're being um, challenged and yep. we're going to have to, you know, talk about that openly and all of that. And my eyes flew open just the other day and I thought, oh, okay. You want me to do this again? Hallelujah. It's a brand new day because I don't think I could have done any more of yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Not here. Um, 
I, I, I love that. And I love this whole notion of hard and good, you know, in the hard good, your book is filled with examples and explanation of what your title means. But I was hoping you could give us a summary of what the hard good means to you and how we can hold space for both hard and good things. Yeah. Well, the hard good is really, I mean, this is just kind of a nutshell, but it's about the road to spiritual transformation and the feelings that can become our God versus our gauge that really thwart us in that process. And so um, it is about showing up for our life and what that looks like and what that isn't. Um, and it's really about the words, what now? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I, I think uh, the first thing that I really sort of help us do is redefine what the word good even means. Because in this culture, good is something that I think we've been sold on that has put so much undue pressure on us that we can create this good life for ourselves that if we um, don't have the good life, I'm putting that in air quotes, that someone else has, that in some way uh, we have not done something right. And uh, so I, I take that pressure off because that's not scripturally what good is. And it's not that, you know, Romans eight twenty eight all things work together for the good. That key word is together. And it's not all things work out. It's all things work together. And so... Um, I think that one thing that's really important to note is that you believe that two truths can be true at the same time and that the book is really all about that because if you don't believe that things can be hard but also be good, then you just are going to be relegated to a life that is either is just going to be hard, you're going to live with sort of that philosophy, Mm -hmm. or you're going to believe that, you know, everything should be good. And so you either live with a belief that nothing is redeemable or everything must have to be good. And so um, we just kind of talk through the reality of that. I'm a person that likes to talk in truth and reality and honesty. And I think those are the things that help us live in a very realistic world. And um, so that's those are the things we talk about in the hard good. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm nodding like a mad woman over here. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I do feel like this whole notion of good is sold to us. I do feel like the togetherness and connection piece is missing. And I love that you point out that two truths can be true at the same time. Yeah. I yeah. think that we're just so used to this versus culture, you know, if it's got to be this or it's got to be this, it cannot be both. And right. to have messaging out there that encourages us to look at it through a different lens that you can have two truths together. And, you know, we're not hundred percent right all the time and we're not hundred percent wrong all the time at the same time, you know, but, Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It expands us and, and really gets us it really gets us thinking um, in a different way, and I think that's the the step the step that we need. I love that it's a, a spiritual transformation journey too. Mm-hmm. I, I want to encourage that in my listeners and my and 
mamas so much because I do feel like a lot of the messaging about motherhood is lacking in, in the spiritual, you know, we talk about the physical, we talk about the emotional, we talk about the mental, and then it's like the spiritual side of everything just doesn't happen. And when I'm watching these transformations in moms and peace come into their heart, most of the time, that's not from a workout program that's yeah. being sold to moms. That's yeah. not from, hey, I just wanted to make you aware of, of you know, emotional issues, or you can go talk to a counselor. Right? And I see the transformation happen when they start to bring in that holistic approach and include the spiritual in their in their transformation journey. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, you know, we are a completely created being body, mind and soul. And so it it makes sense, you know, when I talk about in the book, there's a chapter on showing up when you want to shut down. And I'm very specific in there about own instances in my life where I really, really, really wanted to shut down. And how you have to pay attention to your body, you have to pay attention to your mind, and you have to pay attention to your soul. And that to ignore any of those things is doesn't really make sense because we are a wholly created person. And so, you know, not paying attention to our body or not paying attention to our mind or our soul is a mistake. And so, um, you know, the spiritual aspect of our lives is crucial because we get well from the inside out. And so, like you say, you know, we can, we can implement an exercise program into our life and we can do these steps. And I think, you know, a lot of us are really good at programs or, you know, making lists. I love lists. I have a Mm -hmm. list in my phone (laughs) and I live by my list. But the reality is, is that list does not um, understand what's going on inside my heart. It doesn't, it doesn't honor my soul. It can't, a list can't know that. <laughs> a list only knows what is on my schedule because it's what I tell is tell it is on my schedule. So um, we are known by our creator and we are known fully well and he made us body, mind and soul. And so um, it's super important that we pay attention to what's going on inside our soul and work from the inside out. Mm, I love that. Oh, man. But then the the list maker in me is like, gosh, Lisa, do you have any tips for showing up when we want to shut down? <laughs> because I feel like that's an issue for a lot of us. And, and we are looking for those lists of things like just sure. give us a checklist. We're really good at those things. And I hate asking you for a checklist. I don't know how, you, how you'd want to present that <laughs> in a non checklist or a checklist way. <laughs> well, I'm not against checklists. I think checklists are gauges, right? Like mm-hmm. I think they are important. I think they give us information. I think they help us know. I just don't think we can say that living by a checklist alone is what's going to help us. Because if that, listen, I'm just a pragmatist. That's what I am. So for me, I'm like, well, have the checklist been able to heal things inside my heart, right? And I can say 100% no. (laughs) Have they helped me schedule my life better? Sure. But I will just say that the healing work that needs to happen inside us cannot be mandated by a checklist. So I still don't think we shouldn't have checklists. I, I hope not, because I, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> if I didn't have a calendar, I wouldn't know what I was doing. We wouldn't be having this interview right now. So right. as far as showing up, um, one of the things on the checklist would be exactly what we were just talking about, which is pay attention to your body, mind, and soul, that full picture. And I talk very specifically in the book about 
here's how you have to pay attention to your body. Here's how you have to pay attention to your mind. Here's how you have to pay attention to your soul. And I go into it. We just don't have the time to go into it now. I'm not trying to be um, in any way, you know, secretive about it. I just, we just don't have time. We'd be talking another, another hour. And then the other part of that checklist would be take the pressure off of what showing up needs to be. Because I think what we think is, well, if I'm going to show up, I've got to have full makeup on. I've got to have a present that is the most gorgeously wrapped, or I've got to outdo someone who's going to bring another present. What I am asking you to do by showing up is simply this clumsy, imperfect progress. I'm asking you to have this, the commitment to presence. And something that has really, honestly, it's just struck me recently. It's not a word of this in the book, but this is really, really something that the Lord has shown me recently is these three small words. I am here because, Mm. and that's the commitment to presence, but you know, and, and look, I know we have to take it a step further. Like we can't just constantly say I am here. Okay. (laughs) You know, we have to go further with it, but in the beginning, I think we're so daunted by showing up that it helps me to go, I'm here. Like, and that means a lot of things. It means I'm here. I've survived. It means I am here. I am here with my hands open. I am here ready. And I love the idea. Mm-hmm. That's so lovely. And that truly speaks to my heart. The The notion of I am here and the commitment to presence and there was a transformative time in my life when I was pregnant with my second and my kids are very close in age. And it was a lot. It was a lot. I was nursing through a pregnancy. We were doing our business while I was still working for someone else. And, and it was, it was just a lot to say it was a lot. It was an understatement. And then not only that, my body responded very differently to the pregnancy and I was finding myself just like swelling up to almost like a point that I felt like I didn't even recognize my physical body. And it was wild for me. And it was so quick and slow at the same time. Everyone knows that that nine to 10 months is kind of crazy. And (laughs) to get through and to honor where we were, and also to have a ring on my finger since my um, wedding rings no longer fit me. (laughs) Like mm-hmm. not a chance that they fit me. Yeah, I had a ring made um, that I'm actually wearing this pregnancy too. That says where we are, mm-hmm. and it was just acknowledging where we are in this present moment, and then also acknowledging that just because we're here right now, it doesn't mean this is where we're going to be forever. Yeah, it means this is where we are in this moment. This is what our life looks like right now. Um, and I think the more we can be present in the moment, understand that all of it is temporary and that the only constant is change. It feels like sometimes when it comes to our lives and schedules and all of that and seasons um, was to really get more present and have a grounding notion for us to have that commitment to to be present. And it did start out with words. And so that's why I think that that's so lovely. I know that there are pragmatic parts to, you know, being here and being present, but even just giving us those words, I am here is a beautiful and wonderful and highly effective way to start being more present in a world that wants us distracted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we just need um, a few anchoring words in a moment where our body is giving us signals that we're about to shut down 
or, you know, in a, in a hard moment. We might, it might be just a hard relationship moment. That's kind of the story I tell in the book was one of those hard relationship moments. And that's when I historically want to shut down because I am mad or I don't like this moment or this doesn't feel fair. For me, I'm a big justice person. So in a moment of injustice, I want to shut down. And, you know, as you get older, you realize I can't always just shut down and pack up my party and go somewhere else. Like there are moments that you have to defer that emotion and feeling and go cry it out later or go, you know, yell out into a field somewhere later, whatever. I'm not a proponent for stuffing an emotion. I'm just saying sometimes emotion has to be a feeling, an emotion has to be deferred because of a more, it's a more appropriate time or whatever the case may be. And that's wisdom and that's being a grown up, and that's okay. You know, we're not, we can do that. We can have that control. And that's what really a lot of it's about. Mm-hmm. I love that. Let's talk more about emotions and feelings because after reading a book recently called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure, it was not a light read. Totally listen to it on audio. <laughs> I imagine. I I have a new awareness of how we are encouraged to follow and believe our emotions above basically everything else in the yeah. world yeah. and that we don't have to have this discipline or um awareness or maturity to, like you said, we're not stifling our emotions, but ask any mom, there are many, many, many times where they have deferred our first reaction in order to be show up and be a better parent. Right. I do feel like us following these emotions and letting those lead is just a huge disservice. And it seems that collectively, we have abandoned discernment, and I dare say discipline, and have started to confuse feelings and emotions and intuition. And so I would love to hear more of your thoughts on feelings versus emotions. I mean, even even versus intuition. Yeah. Well, you know, I I guess, if I was going to get really, really technical about it, I would I would and I pull that apart, I would think, well, emotions are First of all, emotions are God-given. I mean, he created us with emotions or we would be robots and we're not. Mm -hmm. So clearly emotions are God-given. I'm a a huge proponent for um, emotions and uh, feelings and we need that. Feelings, I would say, though, if I'm going to get technical, are are more fickle. So that's a, that's a, it's kind of the way that emotions manifest, right? I don't know. But here's the thing. I don't really want to get picky about words as far as feelings, emotions, whatever. I mean, we, we kind of know what we're talking about here. It's really sort of the way that the way that we're feeling manifests in a get any given moment. But it, it, it does go back to what I was talking about them being a gauge versus a God. And what I started to see in my own life, this is really from my own experience of saying, what's been the difference in my life when an emotion or a feeling has swept over me and I've behaved poorly. And in in a moment where I felt something and I've been able to walk away and been really proud of myself for having the wisdom to even defer that until later and sort through it. It's almost like 
putting a pin in it and saying, Mm -hmm. I'm going to think about this later and I'm going to work through it. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen, but I I need to think through this a little bit and I need to sort through it later in my bed with the Lord, um, with a trusted counselor. But at this moment, I'm not going to let it sweep over me and me become a jerk or me shut down and um, be ruin my day and everybody else's day or whatever the case may be. So I think the important thing here is, you know, to recognize when those feelings are becoming God-like in our life, meaning what's God-like? Well, exerting some type of control over you right? Where they are managing you, where they are running you, where they are what I call <laughs> bossing you, they're being your mm-hmm. boss, mm-hmm. Um, versus a gauge, which is giving you important information about something that you need to tend to and giving you maybe a warning signal that there's a place inside of you that maybe isn't quite healed. And that is powerful. Like you Mm -hmm. need that gauge. We need those feelings and emotions to tell us something that's God given. But when it becomes God like in our life, then that's a different problem. And, And I think and I believe this firmly that it's become it's become an idol in our culture because we have begun to believe that whatever we feel, whatever we want to say, we're just going to do it and say it. And what I would suggest to people is to just take a look at your own life. Take a look at your own relationships. Take a look at Facebook. (laughs) Take a look at the election season, whatever you want to do. If you live in America, the election season, just take a look at whatever and think to yourself, okay, well, let's take a look at this. How much did unrestricted feelings play into a breakdown of a relationship there? How much did it lead to our own having to mop up and say, I'm sorry? And how much is it still caused a breach in a relationship or whatever the case may be? So how much damage has it done to ourselves? And I just, again, I'm a pragmatist. So I think to myself, has it worked for me? Well, it's maybe in the moment I felt better. But in the end, I haven't because it's not the person that I've wanted to be. Hmm. Wonder how many other listeners are out there analyzing all these thoughts that you just basically <laughs> brought into our minds of like, yeah, okay, I didn't handle that very well. Okay, yeah, I see where that, that I see an example of everything you're saying, and I even see examples of when I took the time to take a look at at situations. And I love that. I feel like you're giving us permission to be ourselves for better or worse and to show up and, and also honor and recognize the truth of the matter, which is we are not always going to show up perfectly all the time. And there are going to be moments where we are going to have to bring in the mop afterwards and be like, sorry about that, everybody. Um, You're also telling us that another truth I think for moms is that, you know, our attitude and our actions and our, our, the way we react, the words that we say, the mood that we set really does influence those around us, not just our kids, but our family. And, you know, my husband, you know, every once in a while has said, you know, like, wow, mom's in a really bad mood. And now everyone feels like they're in a really bad mood (laughs) and just understanding our role in that um, and not trying to be perfect and always show up in a, in a great, 
great mood, you know, Pollyanna style, but instead just to look and be aware and give ourselves permission to be real, but also give ourselves permission to not have to deal with everything right in that moment. I don't believe that our initial reaction is ever the whole story ever. Right. A lot of us get caught up in this cycle of, oh, this is my initial reaction. And then just have the whole conversation based off of that and not allow space and time to reflect or see different perspectives or even hear different things outside of our first reaction. Yeah. I, you know, I think all what you're saying is so true. I think that we believe that, you know, our problems, at least in part, have been because we haven't been, you know, allowed to say things or we, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think that's not exactly the problem. I think the problem is that for too long, we've had the wrong idea that showing up meant that we had to pretend or, you know, that we had to be perfect. And those pretending and being trying to be perfect are two things that will eventually result in something combustible within ourselves yeah. because we we just can't do it. And so this is definitely not a suggestion to show up and be fake. I, I, I don't I don't do fake. What I'm saying is that I believe that as we take care of things in appropriate times and we really, really work on things and we don't lie to ourselves and we really deal with things as they come, we become the kind of person that can show up and can have these emotions managed to where we then don't live with such regret because it really is mm-hmm. kind of this cycle, right? Now, again, will I do it perfectly? Nope. I, I can tell you I have a mop handy because there are moments that Lisa Whittle is going to absolutely mess it up because I can tell you I can get quite fiery. But mm-hmm. I will tell you that my times have been fewer and farther between as I have allowed God to deal with things inside of myself, instead of trying to perform, instead of trying to pretend it wasn't happening, instead of, instead of trying to just white knuckle it, all of these things that we try to do and really saying, yeah, this is hard in my life. I'm going to take a look. I'm going to pay attention to my body, pay attention to what's going on in my mind and my soul and deal with it. And um, it's made things that were not possible for me before possible. Mm-hmm. I just want to validate that for you, Lisa, um, because just this week, remember, I was talking about the hard week and all of that. Um, yeah, I kind of gave gave it over, and the second that I did, I felt much better about that because I had I had my mop in my hand, like ready to make the mess, <laughs> yeah, and ready to mop it up, knowing that I was, you know, about to make the mess, and instead, I gave it over. Oh my gosh. And just trusted that it would work out. And I, I prayed for um, discernment and, and peace and, and time and space and like, help me understand that I do not have to drop the Mentos into the Coke right now. Right. You know, like right. Sort of thing. I don't need to do this. I can actually ask somebody else for help or I can, I can start talking about it and, and processing it and, and giving myself time and space for that. And well, yeah, I just identify with the, um, what does my one girlfriend call it? She calls me spicy LB. She's like, I don't <laughs> like it when you get spicy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, yeah. Also, I think I want a mug that says, have a mop handy. <laughs> 
Seriously, that making me think of all kinds of merch we could do with this. No, but you know, that's the that's the really what we're talking about is the truest true though, because when we don't have when we have these um uncontrollable feelings, we'll call it, when they're when they've become godlike in our life and they're, you know, they're running us around, they're bossing us to death. The 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 biggest thing that happens so many times is they result in us having this overwhelming guilt, this self-loathing, because when we walk away from that moment that that everything blew up, right, then we we feel so we feel bad. And then mm-hmm. we we then we go back down, we go farther down into the rabbit hole <laughs> of I'm a bad mom or I'm a bad friend or whatever the case may be. And look, most of us don't need help with that because most of us on any given day already feel inadequate in our own mothering or friendships or whatever. And so, you know, that's really hard. It's like, you know, my whole life, I'm always spicy. So I relate to the spiciness. I think it was interesting because, um, as I've done a spiritual work and the Lord has worked inside of me, the spicy Lisa that people used to be slightly frightened of, like, oh, she's spicy, but like prickly spicy, I'm a little scared to be around, um, has become spicy Lisa, I want her in my corner. And I think yeah. there's a there's a difference when it's controlled, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I just, you know, I think the biggest message for moms and for anyone reading the book is, you know, this is for you. Like Mm -hmm. this is like this work that God wants to do in you is for you so that you don't waste any more time feeling guilty and self-loathing and um, that you can get on with the work that he wants to do in and through you because it is a precious work. Hmm. I love that so much, so much. And I feel like you have given us a new pair of glasses, a new pair of lenses to look through motherhood and, you know, where we are and being present and also a touch of what's to come and all of that. And I know that a lot of times moms feel like their hearts and their heads are sometimes hijacked by societal notions or messaging or our fears or inadequacies or any of that. Like, do you have any suggestions for moms about how to go about taking a more active role in their lives when it comes to their hearts and thoughts and mindset? Yes. I think um, probably the biggest thing that has been a help for me in that is to move away from what I call the stifling what if questions. And the three that we center on are what if I, what if they, what if God? And those stifling what if questions just absolutely keep us in a, just a whirlwind of, um, inactivity and um, ineffectiveness, Mm -hmm. whether it be in our parenting or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, going down those mental roads of what if I had done this or what if I hadn't done this or what if they, you know, hadn't or had or whatever, what if God, you know? And so moving from what if to what is, and that is a power move. And so I, I think if you want to take an active role in your life, um, cut out the what if questions because those will hinder you. Mm-hmm. Lisa, look at my mug. It says, what is? Wow. 
How very <laughs> on brand. <laughs> I, know, I know. I was just, I was like, Lisa, this whole conversation is like uh, your whole merch store. <laughs> like, it's just so amazing. We're meant and to I be. Feel like, oh, I have all these, I have all these things. And, and it just, yeah, what is, and, and accepting that and yeah. is so important and so grounding. And I know for me personally, all those what if questions bring about so much worry. And I just want to not live in worry. And I see what it does to people around me. I, I see what it does to the women who have come before me, the women who stand beside me. I see the worry that's coming up on, you know, younger mothers under me and all of that. And I just, I want us to get out of that space, that worry space. And I, I can see how the what if questions really, you know, get us into that worry, worry wheel, you know, like a hamster wheel that we're just like, ah, you know, and get kind of frazzled and to step out of that and be more present. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And, and that is an action. It is an action. Yep. And it's a, it's a thought. It's a mind, body, spirit is I love it. I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love it. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to finish your book. I did start it. Um, I haven't quite finished it yet, but I am excited to. And you talked about those later chapters and embracing change and all of that. And yes, I need more of that in my life. But I know you wrote other books too. Um, I'm wondering how The Hard Good is different from your other seven books. Well, if you have read any of my other books, you would say probably that this one is very in line with Lisa Whittle's style in the sense that there is, there's meaty teaching in it. And so it's not, I wouldn't say it would be um, just something you could zip through. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, we think in my books, we think, (laughs) and so we think we ponder, we consider. um, And I think that's important. Um, But at the same time, um, I, do what I've been committed to since goodness, I started writing, which is a long time. And that is what I call the I'll go first offering. And I do that a lot in this book, but probably I would say what's different about it is these are my most tender and intimate stories that I've ever shared. Mm -hmm. And I almost will go so far to say as I don't know, I think I might even be almost done sharing personal stories in this way, not because I don't want to share anymore, but I'm not sure after this, I reached into the bottom. Mm -hmm. I reached to the bottom of my story barrel. And I don't mean like bottom of the barrel bad. I mean, like I went to the depths for this one. And um, that's why when I read the audiobook, I, I told you I couldn't get past three without crying because page three without crying because um, these are so dear and tender to me. And so mm-hmm. um, these, these are by, by far the most intimate stories I've ever shared in any book. Mm, yes. And I, I can, I, I don't know you personally to confirm that, but I will tell you that I also <laughs> cried by page three and was just like, oh my gosh. And it feels very deeply personal and it, oh my gosh, that is it. I'll go first. That's what it feels like to me. That's what it felt like. Even just a few pages in, I was like, oh yeah, she's going to go first. She's going to share some really vulnerable stuff and get really real. And and I love that you encourage us to think, and it does, your book does feel like a reader author relationship. So when you say we think to me that that that's what it feels like. It feels like mm-hmm. somehow, some way you're there. And I just want to say kudos to you. I truly appreciate it when authors read their audiobooks. It just does it for me. I feel like 
you know, you're sitting down on my couch and, and reading it out loud to me while I do the dishes, <laughs> you know, it's, it's wonderful. And I also know that the strength that it is going to take or took for you to record the audiobook, and And your voice is so strong in your writing that because of that, it feels like an easy read that's also tackling tough topics. So kudos to you, because I think some way, somehow you have managed to make a book that is challenging us in the best way possible and growing us spiritually and on every level and making us think is also easy to read. Mm. Well, thank you. I, I certainly, it's always my goal that a person wants to continue to read. And then after another mm. chapter, they, they say, I want to keep reading because I know that readers don't read, but a third of every book anymore. So I'm always aware of that as I go into my writing process to say, I want them to want to read more. And so mm-hmm. um, that's always my goal. <laughs> you did it, Lisa. You totally you. did it. I Thank was you. sad that I was tired and had to stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Uh, that, that makes me feel good. It was so good. But not only do you have all these awesome books, you also have a lot of other resources and support that you offer. So I'd love for you to invite you to tell my listeners about those too. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I do a podcast as well. It's called Jesus Over Everything. Uh, We have great guests, but also I do quick shows on Wednesday. We always go about 10 minutes or less. People love a quick podcast. And so um, we talk about topics and um, I give just a word of encouragement. And so we do that on Wednesdays and then we have guests on Fridays. Uh, So we do that Jesus over everything show. I have a community called called creatives where I help women uh, who want to write and speak and start podcasts and um, do creative entrepreneurship. And so my partner, Allie Worthington and I, who also is an author and a speaker, we do that together. It's so fun. We coach for 90 minutes Uh, every month. We offer trainings and um, mastermind groups for our women in the community. We have, it's really low priced uh, and also just with really quality material with what our commitment is anyway. And Mm -hmm. uh, so do that and then books and I speak places. And so we stay busy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it I sounds we, like because it. we have a whole team. So yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you more and all your resources, and I'll be sure to link to all of them in the show notes. But what is the best place to find you? They can find me at lisawittle.com. It's very easy. Also, of course, I'm on social media and I love mm-hmm. to be on Instagram. That's my favorite. But um, but yeah, lisawittle.com and you can really there's free stuff on there. That's the link to the podcast. Um, of course, all the book information for the hard good is on there as well. Mm, Lisa, you are so awesome. This has been so lovely. I feel like this is like the long version of your podcast where you just fill people up and fill people up because I've listened to uh, some of your episodes. In fact, I listened to, I think three, I managed to do three while I was doing my makeup this morning. And I was like, (laughs) yes, I like that. I like that quickness. And I feel like this was like the long drawn out hug version of that. And I so appreciate that. Lisa, thank you so much for all you do and all the ways you show up for people. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. You're a lovely host. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. 
That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.